0: you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall and as always I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the Flyers are coming off a pretty good weekend. They sweep the Islanders in two really fun games, overtime fashion. Scott Lawton scores the overtime winner on Saturday, Kevin Hayes the overtime winner on Sunday and Taryn the Flyers Got the best of the team that eliminated them last season, ended their season last year in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, really had their number all year from preseason to regular season to postseason. And the Flyers get two wins without Sean Couturier in both those games and surprisingly without Travis Konechny in one of those games. The Flyers' leading scorer and goal scorer from last season was benched for Saturday's game. Taryn, let's start with that. What was your initial reaction to the Travis Konechny
1: benching? Um, I think we were all initially surprised, right? Like, we were all just like, this is the team's leading goal scorer. Um, you know, it's the Islanders of all teams. TK plays well in games that are chippy. This is a team that's physical. Um, and that, you know, he obviously will have some motivation against, which is what you expect the most out of TK. That being said, when you looked back at um, – some of the effort in the game before that against the devils on certain plays. If you really looked back at what happened, um, there was a lot of non-effort plays, not just from TK as Alain Vino pointed out from the top six forwards and Al Morgani pointed out something interesting off air yesterday. And Scott actually pointed out something interesting in Saturday's game against the Islanders. But I want to point out what it came to Al. He said, you know, you look at this Islanders team, they're big and they're physical and we've got dogs barking outside. Hey, <laughs> um, You know, this is, this is work from home life folks. Um, and, uh, and you're not going to sit, like, even if you're irate with the way Kevin Hayes efforted, you're not going to sit Kevin Hayes against the Islanders and lose that big body down the middle. Like you just can't. And thank God they didn't because look what he did last night. Um, and Scott said, you know, people think this is like a win-lose. If if the Flyers win, if TK comes back and plays well in the second game, people think the Lane is a genius and, you know, he pressed all the right buttons. But they think if, if the Flyers lose and TK comes back and he doesn't play well, that it's a lose. And he was like, it's really not. Like, if you're a player, you're not playing well, you're not playing up to expectation, like you need that slap on the wrist every once in a while. Scott said, I, I'm the guy who got slapped on the wrist as a 22, 23-year-old kid. It's happened to me. Um, and in every situation, it, it was a reset that I needed. And it woke the team up. And even if the team lost that game, it, it woke everybody up and was like, hey, you could be next. So, you know, and Scott's obviously played more NHL games than either of us, so I'll take his word for it. But, um, yeah, he said, he was like, I'm not going to lie. I I feel bad for Travis because he's – it wasn't just about Travis. Travis was kind of the sacrificial lamb that was representative of quite a few players. Um, That just is the truth. And, uh, you know, and and then the Flyers, I think – This is the interesting thing about last night's game, and I said it on air. The Flyers, it felt like, took a huge step in the right direction, specifically against the Islanders last night, by playing what should be a very average game for them. Because they have looked absolutely frustrated in the bubble against the Islanders, you know, in that first game against the Islanders. Last night should be like a baseline average game for this team. The Islanders just capitalize on every mistake you make, which was true last night. Um, and the Flyers just have been able to be efficient in the low amount of shots on goal that they've gotten and find a way to win these games. Uh, But that was the first time, I, I mean, Jordan, tell me if I'm wrong, that was the first time really that I remember that it felt like the Flyers just played an average game against the Islanders and not like they were struggling to survive to the final buzzer.
0: Yeah, and I think the positive was they got off to two really good starts, and they didn't really always start well against the Islanders, um, and then those two games they did, and then it allows you to not be perfect the rest of the way. So I thought that was really good. But yeah, they you know, they, they didn't play their best hockey in either of those two games. And the fact that they got wins in both of them, I think the Flyers should take it. Um, the, the Islanders play a frustrating brand of hockey, as you know, Taryn, and they never go away. They never, ever go away. They're seldom blown out, and uh, we're seeing why. The Flyers have seen why. Um, and the style's kind of... Just ran the heads together. The Flyers play a brand of hockey where they want to go north south, frustrate you, live in the offensive zone, and the Islanders kind of play a style that's defensive, and also um, they want to make you uh, have mistakes and then pounce on them uh, by just dumping the puck in, putting pressure on your D, forechecking the hell out of you, and then see what you see what you do with it. So um, it's just two styles that uh, have led to tough games for the Flyers, but. Uh, to, to get wins in overtime against the team that eliminated you without Couturier for two of them, without Konechny for one, I thought it was really good. And, uh, you know, Alain Vigneault did not care who they were playing and when they were playing or where they were playing. He wanted to send a message by sitting Travis Konechny. And like you said, Taryn, it wasn't all about Konechny. Some of it was, obviously, because you don't just randomly sit your your all-star from last season. Uh, I think Vigneault was very fed up with the end of, or not with the end, but the first two periods of the second Devils win, uh, where they were outshot 24-8, to found a way to win that game. But after the game, he was really frustrated. He said there was really no excuse for not being in the right frame of mind to play the first two periods of a hockey game. And the Flyers were lucky it didn't cost them that game. They had a really good third period, won the game, and it all looked well in the win-loss column. But I think Vigneault was saying, hey, um, I've, I've talked about playing the right way now for – Uh, eight games into this season. I've said it eight times in eight games and we are not playing the right way. I have to nip this in the bud and how will I do it? Sit our best player and have it have a basically a ripple down effect throughout the roster. Let it permeate throughout the roster and say, if you don't play the right way, you will sit. I don't care who you are. And I think Connect Me got the message. and I think the Flyers got the message and uh, the fact that they still won two games against the Islanders, uh, that's a real positive and, Taryn, they're off to their best start, 7-2-1 since uh, 2002-03. So I think that's a, that's a real positive. And Taryn, I wanted to ask you, I think some people are very excited about the 7-2-1 start, but amazingly, I think there's probably more criticism than there is praise right now with this team. And that's you know wild to say because I think the Flyers have notoriously started slow in seasons, and I think anyone in the past would take a 7-2-1 start. But the expectations have risen. They are higher. And Elaine Vigneault has raised the bar. So 7-2-1-1, despite them not playing well, is not all that great for fans. What sc- I'm going to ask you two things. What scares you about this start? But also, what is scary about the Flyers right now, given they're 2 and one and haven't really played their best hockey?
1: Uh, I love something. I just want to mention Charlie O'Connor from the athletic tweeted something yesterday that made me laugh out loud. He said it's a, it's so Philadelphia that the flyers are off to a seven, two and one start second. They're the second best team in in an absolutely loaded East division. And everyone in Philadelphia, if you go on Twitter, you would think that they have not yet won a game this season. Like everyone is irate. Um, I think the scariest thing in a good way about this Flyers team uh, is that they have not played their best hockey. They haven't been able to exploit their depth yet um, because of Sean Couturier. And you've got the numbers on this, but they've, like, played a different defenseman combination every game for how many games, Jordan? Five straight, yeah, different six defensemen, five straight. they're, They're still figuring it out. And it's not like a Vigneault last year where it's going to take him until, you know, two months into the season to figure out his team. That's not it. But defensively, they, they, now that ghost is in and he's playing really well, which is like sick, you know, that's really what you needed. And shout out to ghost because we we've been saying, I've been trying to send positive vibes via the podcast because this is the perfect opportunity for him. Um, but Ghost has really capitalized on that. Good for him. Good for the team that that is, in fact, the case. Um, but, they're, like, they're working with a completely different defense now. And I know you you really only lost Matt Niskanen. But you didn't really only lose Matt Niskanen. Like, it's, it's forced massive changes. Phil Myers coming back, looking good, coming back is huge as well. Um, and then on the other side of things, also, Sean Couturier is not there which changes you down the middle and sometimes on the wings as well, depending on what AV wants to do with Drew or Scott Lawton, et cetera. So the scariest thing is this Flyers team can play a ton better than they've played now, a ton, like much, much better than they've played now. And I think that's why people are so mad. We had so much fun watching them last year when they were really good and they never refound that game in the bubble, even though they played really well in the round robin. They didn't play hockey like they played hockey in like February of 2020. Um, The scary thing about this Flyers team (laughs) is, in fact, I think that, you know, Scott said it on set the other day is uh, Elaine Vimeo can only say the same thing so many times, right? They they seem to have issues and whether it's just the lack of exhibition games in preseason or whatever it is, um, they seem to have issues and they don't know how to address them, I would say, is the thing. Obviously this weekend, I say that this weekend felt like a big step in the right direction, as we mentioned. But you know, if it's not for Matt Barzell committing a penalty in overtime, who even knows how that game looks. And to be honest with you, one of the big things when it comes to the Islanders in overtime, and this has been my longstanding theory since the bubble, is that the Islanders play – and everybody who's a massive hockey fan is going to hate me for making a basketball reference here, but I'm going to. The Islanders play like a full-court press, like, uh, like a 1-2-2 two, two or a 2-1-2 two, two full-court press, and they try to push you. Like they always tell you in basketball, don't get trapped near the line. Don't get trapped in the corners. They do that to you, and they suffocate you in the offensive and neutral – or in your own D zone and neutral zone so that you can just never really get out and get a breath of air and by time you get on offense you're dead or your shift is long or whatever um and last night they figured it out a little bit more but that's why I think the Flyers do so well in overtime against them there is no capability to do that there are fewer players in the ice the Flyers can't even get to the middle of the ice most times against the Islanders they cannot get anywhere except for along the boards on the outsides where they crush you and then you just can't break into the ozone at all. Um, and they haven't figured that out yet. And that's one of those things that I think is symptomatic. It's something that we've seen with this team. They, they have an issue. feels like they've probably talked about the issue a lot. Doesn't fully get resolved, but they find a way to win. And so maybe you get away with it. I think we saw that with Carter earlier this season. You know, Carter stands on his head, Brian Elliott stands on his head, and then all of a sudden against the Sabres, they can't stand on their head because the opportunities are so disproportionate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just – that's my only concern is that this this team, not last year, but the bubble and so far this year, it takes them a moment to make adjustments. I think Sean Couturier is a huge part of that, though, so – I don't know, what's, what's your thought? What's the scariest thing, good, scary, scariest thing, bad, scary?
0: No, that, that, those honestly are awesome points, and I would agree with both of them, and that's kind of what I'm going to hit on as well. Um, I think what's scary about these Flyers is that, yeah, 7-2-1, their best start since 2002-03, and they have not played a complete game. Uh, it's a team that allowed the fewest shots per game in the league last year. They're allowing the second most shots per game going into Monday. Um, and are still seven two and one, and that to me is a true true sign of a team that's ready to contend. The teams that are in the upper echelon of the league that are ready to contend for the cup find ways to win. I know it's a cliche, but they find ways to win when they're not at their best. They execute when they have to. Um, they bend. Got to be good break. to be lucky. Got to be lucky to be good. Exactly what watching. not Lawton said. Exactly. Um, and I'll be honest, when they Travis Kinecki was bench, I of course question. I definitely question that. But then I thought to myself, well, you know what? Elaine Vigneault, uh is a lot smarter than me, uh, and he's coached in four. Give yourself some credit. I am pretty smart, Taryn. That's true. Thank you. Thank you. That's what friends are for. But he has coached in four huge markets. I don't think he cares about the reaction to his decisions. He's coached in Montreal, Vancouver, New York, and now Philly. Um, he knows what he's doing, and he sent a message, and, and that needed to be sent. And kudos to him and the Flyers. It looked good after the weekend. But – Yeah, I think it's scary that the Flyers really have not played even close to what they did, Taryn, like you said, down the regular season stretch. Really, not even super close. Um, And that's, that's, I think, a a good thing, is that they found a way to be one of the better teams in the league in the win-loss column, despite playing probably average hockey in their mind. Uh, what's
1: average? I think it's below average. Yeah, below was yeah. average. They've played the, they played the Bruins. So below average, in my opinion, they played the Sabres. So below average. I think the devils were a sneaky team. I think they played below average against the penguins. I think yeah. they're just lucky. Sorry. I'm like going off on a tangent no, here. I, but I, I really do. I felt like yesterday and I might just be like doom and gloom, but everybody wrote the high of that third period from the fir- from the devil's game, the last devil's game. And that was the only – that was the only time they've ever looked above average this season to me, was that one period. But that game overall, below average. Yep. The first game against the Islanders. Good, good, first period. Effort was there, second, third periods, but couldn't figure it out. So, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like a C minus, B plus for effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then <laughs> yesterday was the first game where it was like, here's a a B here's a B game for the Flyers. And it might have been, and I might be being harsh, might have been their first B. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Taryn is a tough grader. A tough grader. Did you, did you ever think of Yeah, I was C- a GA G-
1: in college, folks. Guess what? No one did well in my classes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Flyers, there you have it. There's your report card through 10 games. I like it, Taryn. And hey, that's going to, you know, they're going to see that report card and they're going to know, hey, we don't care about those seven wins. You I hope they don't mad. see that
1: report card because yeah. you don't want anyone to be mad at me. <laughs> but I think Alain is a harder grader than me. Like, do you do you not yeah. think? I mean, I, he's got to be. I think he is. And he's, so, and he's so fit for fit. Like, sorry, I keep cutting you off, Jordan. It's really hard to no, understand. I like, like it. you can't just chat. It cuts off somebody's mic every time. Uh, <laughs> um, But... The other thing that's interesting with Elaine Vino too, and I think with Doc Rivers coming here, it changes a little bit. He might be the best suited coach for Philly that this city has right now. He does not care. He does not care. Yell at him on Twitter. He does not care. He really doesn't. And he's like, I got the pedigree. I'm not even here for what you have to say. I'm going to do what I want. And it's going to work enough. And that's beginning, middle, and end of the story. And it's like, Kind of fits the city it 's really just this is what i 'm going to do i didn 't really your opinion's unsolicited here, like no, and I think I learned a lot
0: about him like meo well i 've learned a lot about him you know getting to know him ever since he was hired, obviously, um, but he said it in the bubble like he, he said he 's like i 'm not on social media i don 't read articles he goes i don't remember the last time I read an article he wasn 't even talking, I think about sports, he was talking about in general like he doesn't read that stuff and he's probably learned that probably coaching in the markets in which he has that like, don't get caught up in that stuff. And we've talked about it. He's a hockey nerd. He really does just like live and breathe his, his yeah. job and family, of course.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but one of the most interesting things about A B to me um is when we're on the road with the team, when I would be on the road with the team, like Chuck Fletcher would, would come and you know if we were on the you know the big west coast swing and chuck was on the swing with us right um we'd be like have like a day to kill in Arizona and the broadcast crew and lappy and mike yo and even chuck fletcher and um kim dillabaugh the goalie coach even michelle tarrant like they would come we'd be out by like the campfires at the hotel in Arizona and like having a glass of wine and just talking because that's all you have on the road is each other like you really do become like family and av is close to his coaches but av really like comes out and has like a martini next to michelle terrian they talk about hockey while they're there and then he goes back to the room or wherever he's going and he game preps but i talked to coachy about it because obviously he's been on the road for a few more years than i was on the road and he said yeah like he's really he's a pro's pro and he's he said he, he said that he hasn't really seen a coach that's quite like that in a long time here in Philly. And he was like, you know, I'd like to hang out with him and get to know him a little bit better, but Hey, like props to him. That's what he does. And like you said, like, he's just, he is one track minded. Like he really is. I think he's when he's locked in, he's locked in and that serves, I think that serves you well here in Philly because I, I know it's like, the meter is either like belligerently celebrating or absolutely distraught and there is no in between. And as a as a person who grew up and celebrated these teams, even as like a, you know, a middle schooler watching the Eagles go to the Super Bowl before, distraught, distraught, or absolutely celebrating and there's there is nothing in between. Like it's what? So he, I think that's good for him. <laughs> Agree, Taryn, And because you can get caught up in bad
0: ways in one of the two, in both of those, when things are going really bad and it feels like everything is burning down, that can suck you in. All of a sudden, it changes your mindset and your thinking. Oh yeah, your as a television
1: like, personality, I can tell you it's very easy. <laughs> People yeah. are are like, I think sometimes it's like, as the team goes, is how the fan base's opinion of us sometimes goes as well. JJ and Josie warned me of that. Um, and so let's say that you're, you know, you're on air and your stat person accidentally gets you a wrong stat or something, which happens like that, that does happen. Um, and the team is losing, you will have 80 people come out of the wings and tweet at you on Twitter. And they're like, you're an idiot. You, this was the wrong and da, 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 da. And if the team's winning, no one cares. Like everyone's like, oh, this is great. They're the best. You know, it just... That's Philly, but that's why when you see, I think someone like a Kevin Hayes like embrace being in Philly so much, you love it because you're like, cool, he's down for this. Yeah. Av, he's he's so not down for it that it's good for him, like yeah, and it works here, which is how this tangent started for me. Sorry, no, I I get off I get off like topic. It's- <laughs> you're good, you're and was, it was funny like, that It reminding me that
0: Elaine Vigneault is not seeing any of this was when. Uh, a couple examples. Uh, one, when Nate Prosser ended, entered the lineup, God there that feels like forever ago. But when Nate Prosser entered the lineup, um, we are – me and you, we're, we're so in tune with what's happening on social media because we have to be. It's our jobs. Like, we're on social media naturally. And there was so much criticism about Nate Prosser entering the lineup. And then with Travis Konechny, when it came out, when it appeared that he was being benched, there was obviously a ton of upheaval and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, like, man, like, fans are losing their minds. And then it hit me. I'm like, Elaine Vigneault has not a clue, nor does he give a damn.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he knows. I mean, I'm sure he knew somewhere, like, inside. Yeah, or maybe. He was just like, I don't care. Right. He's what not not like, I got to do. If, He's if, not if you want to races. celebrate them winning later, I got to do this now. Right.
0: So, he, you know, maybe he has some people telling him, like, you know, this was the – who knows, maybe someone gave him a clipping of an article or something, but he really had no clue that the fan base was losing its mind, its collective mind, over some of these moves. And, again, that's a good thing for the coach. Um, but, yeah, for, so, so – and then going back to maybe what scares me for these Flyers is that, yeah, there, there are serious ingredients missing from what they had last year cooking down the stretch and I'm worried that there are a few bad goaltending games away from losing games uh in crooked margins like they're having their goalies make 30 to 35 saves a night Taren. like that's just kudos to Carter Hart for bouncing back and kudos to Brian Elliott who's been a stud in three starts he's won all three of his starts one being a 40 save shutout um but I just don't know if you can consist- can consistently play the way you're playing in a real Having your goalies make 30 to 35 saves a night, I'm worried that it's eventually going to bite them. But if I the buy or sell right now, I'll more buy that the Flyers are going to get it right. They're going to play more of a brand. Um, and again, we forget that Vigneault's teams um, have had a history sometimes of figuring things out later. I think his system is so effort based as well that sometimes it takes a team, honestly, a month to really get its legs and really find that system, find what works throughout the forwards, throughout the day, and, of course, uh, uh, on the back end and the goaltending. So sometimes it can take a little while with those type of effort-based systems to really find your legs, find your conditioning. Uh, so I would buy, but uh, I think there's reasons to think the Flyers are scary good, and I think it, there's a reasons to be a little scared right now too. I,
1: this is where I have a question, though, is that the system, the system argument is interesting because there are obviously systems that should be better dealing with and adjusting to the lack of a preseason. And there's other systems that you know are going to struggle. Like, I think because a Lennon system is so effort-based, but the Flyers are also a team that's chock full of very highly skilled players. Last year, that, that combination of the two things worked really well for them, right? Like, guys were sharp there are guys who can create you know they're on top of it and then on top of it it requires a lot of effort right this year the sharpness is clearly not there but a lot of that i think has to do with the lack of preseason and so you think once the sharpness comes once they get their legs under them as well which is something that even if they trained a ton in the offseason some of these guys are gonna have to play into like we talked to travis connect me he said like i tried to train as similarly as i could to the way i trained before 2019 2020 but it's just like rink availabilities and how many people can be in there and all of those things really limit what you can do. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing though, and I know the Islander series is done and gone, and they won't see him again until March. The interesting thing to me though, is that Barry Trox's system should really work. Like they should be a team who adjusted well to this. It's a role-playing system. Um, it's, it's conservative, but capitalizing. It's like you said, it's effective. Travis Konecki called it bur- boring hockey. Yeah. But they're, they're a system that should work. It's a little bit surprising. And I, I've said this on air. I think the Flyers have a deceptively good record. I think we've talked about this a lot, um, even just today. The Islanders have a deceptively bad record. And the thing that's, I mentioned it before the season started, in this division is that it just takes a, a, you know, a bad week this week against the Bruins and the Capitals and a good week for the Islanders. I have to honestly look at their schedule. I don't know who they have this week. And, and that seventh team can crawl up to like three and the second team could drop down to like six because everything is a swing game. Every game's a divisional game, you know? Um, But it's interesting that they haven't really, they figured it out. I mean, they showed in the first game, second two periods, like they figured out their system, but it's amazing they're not having more success with it, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, they, I think they're 3-4-2, and Taryn. They've lost five straight going into this week. Very surprising, like you said. I'm surprised, too, and it is a deceptive record. They are not 3-4-2 and two hockey team, but like you said, we're going to see the standings seriously fluctuate um, night after night. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be crazy because you're going to think you're in a good spot, and then all of a sudden, two games later, um, there's going to be more movement, but we will see.
2: So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
0: Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. Well, Taryn, let's cap things off. And I want to ask you a tough but good question. Tough but good Joel Farabee and James Van Riemsdyk, two players on torrid paces right now. Joel Farabee coming off a hat trick, the youngest flyer to have a hat trick, um, the second youngest flyer to ever have a hat trick other than Eric Lindros. And then James Van Riems, like 13 points in 10 games. That matches his best ever 10-game start. Going back to his rookie season when he was a uh, 20-year-old with the Flyers, what player are you more impressed with right now? What start is more impressing to you?
1: Ooh, I'm, I'm really um, encouraged by JVR right now because we're talking about a veteran player who's well into his career, who's got like a very established idea of who he is and how he contributes. And he, like he's got eight assists, I think right now, which is not a part of the repertoire that we credit JVR for. Um, you know, I want to give Joel credit where credit is due. Eight points in 10 games, but seven – here's the thing. Here's the thing with Joel. Seven of those points came in two games. So, <laughs> you know, shout out to Joel because trick is huge. Um, and like you mentioned, to, to do that at such a young age and to do it the way he did it, those those wrist shots are like a, a skill we knew he had before. It's nice to see him flex that muscle in the NHL. You hope it's something he gets comfortable developing because obviously it's incredibly hard to stop. Um but Joel's points came, you know, kind of reigns at cores situations. And I would love to see Joel get consistent, you know, assists, goals, et cetera, et cetera. JVR gets credited with a fourth assist we learned this morning or late last night that I knew this. Guys, I'm just going to take a moment here. I knew on the post game that they were going to change it to JVR. And I wanted to say on air that he had four assists, but it wasn't changed yet and I couldn't. And then they changed it, like, I think as soon as we got off air. And I was really upset about it. it. Not long after, Terry, that you guys – Yeah, I was kind of irritated. But because he deserved it. Only because – not because – it's because he deserved it. He deserved to – like, he he played such an important role in every single goal for the Flyers last night in a part of his game that was either underdeveloped or underappreciated at different times. Um, But his hands are just so good, Jordan. And, like, that one – I think it was the first assist was like a poke check that he turned into a pass like he didn't just poke check' it's, he didn't stick that stick out there. you could see the way his eyes were going. he saw Joel and he like right to him um and that's not that's a guy who's like practiced tips on tips on tips on tips on tips and uses it in this situation to translate to an assist. It's massive so I'm really encouraged by by the j v r start i mean he's got uh I, like I don't know who saw him starting the season this way this year. Five goals, eight assists through ten games. I don't know that anybody – like, if you told somebody that was going to be JVR's line through the first ten games of the season, I don't think most people would believe you. Um, But he's a really smart player, and he's got great hands. And it's really encouraging to see – because we we talk about him being streaky so often because we're generally only talking about his goals. And I think with most players, when you're talking about goal scorers, they, most people are streaky. It's just, they get more assists in between. So when you look at their point spread, it looks like they're a little bit more evenly distributed. That's just my, my hot take on situation. Um, but now we're seeing, he, he's not just going to score four goals in three games and then go quiet. And then, you know, he's, he's contributing night in night out in a way that that really, helps his team. And if he doesn't create all four of those plays last night, Jordan, I don't know if the Flyers get four goals.
0: Exactly. Uh, And it's as impressive as Joel Farabee has been, four-point night in the opener, hat-trick in the first 10 games of the season, crazy impressive for a 20-year-old kid. But we – everyone was super high on Joel Farabee. Ever since he was drafted in 2018, we knew about his pedigree, we knew about his shot, um, his propensity to climb quickly up the ranks. Uh, And he has arrived, absolutely has arrived. So I think there was big expectations that he was going to take a major stride in year two uh, and kudos to him for doing it. But I think JVR has been more impressive just given we haven't seen this type of 10 game start from him since he was literally a 20 year old rookie with the Flyers. Like this is crazy. Um, and I think it was a big, this is a big season for JVR. We know about the expansion draft coming up down the line, not even going to go into that. Um, he's playing well now for the Flyers. Let's worry about that. Um And we know how much of an X factor he is for this team. When he's producing, they go to another level. Uh, Sometimes you see guys, some of the best players, they produce in wins and losses, uh, and it doesn't always sway the outcome. JVR is a guy, when he's not producing, the Flyers seem to struggle. And when he produces, uh, man, are they really tough to beat. To me, JVR is one of the biggest storylines of the season so far. Um, He entered uh, Monday. Today, he entered, I think, his tie for fifth in points in the league. Uh, he's up there with some big, big names. We're talking about McDavid, Drysaitel, McKinnon. Going uh, to pull it up now. Yeah, hockey sure. reference I open right
1: now. Taron,
0: I believe he's tied with Nicholas Backstrom for fifth in the league in scoring.
1: Yep, yep. Lee uh, oh my God, Kyron McDavid and Leon Drysaitel have 22 and 21 points respectively. <laughs> it's just, just, That's insane. Like insane. Um, but then yeah, it's it's Nate McKinnon and Mitch Marner right right ahead of them at 14 and then backstrom and bam reeves like they're at five with 13 as i mean it's just it's insane and not to mention i mean conor david and leon dryside will benefit from playing with each other and getting points off of each other as two that of is like true. the best players in the league um but jvr is creating for everyone like jvr is is at times feasting so everyone can else can eat really and that's That's massive. And the way that he has opened up the ice for players and makes quick decisions and is good with his hands, it's allowed, you know, you're not talking about a Connor McDavid hat trick that he's skating up the ice at, you know, the speed of sound. You're talking about a a play that took high hockey IQ and great hands to create a a hat trick for a Joel Farabee, who's very good in and of himself, but
0: and, he, and he's playing 200 feet, and he's playmaking, like you said, too. Um, I think this is some of the best playmaking hockey I've seen from him in his career and some of the best 200-feet hockey I've seen. He's forechecking, yeah. leading the way in terms of that, and um, so that's huge. I, I, he he gets this crazy um, – he's perceived, and it's a misperception, that he's uh, like this one-trick pony kind of guy, and he only plays in the offensive zone. It's not true. It really is not. Um, he's just a smart player that knows how to conserve his energy, and maybe he doesn't go balls to the wall all the time, but um, he, he he plays hard, and he's just really smart and understands spacing and all that fun stuff. So Yeah, uh, it's, it's, all
1: kind of it's interesting. This is a thing where an – and Al, Al, I think, pointed it out last night too, but we've talked about it before. This is another part where you have to give credit to how smart Alain Vino is because he took the opportunity – I don't remember how many games ago it even was now because, you know, the days and weeks just when they might go. as well all be an illusion anyway, yeah. um, as my camera is over once yeah. again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, AV, like, however many games ago, I might have, was it in the Bruins series or the Sabre series? Said, he said, like, unprovoked, I want to point out mm-hmm. the tone was set in terms of effort and hustle by James Van Riemsdyk who did not have a single point in that game. Mm-hmm. And that's when you sit there and you go, this is, this is like a very smart move by Elaine Vigneault to point out because I think that people also get this misperception that like a player like a JVR who is such a good goal scorer is entirely points driven. And he's obviously made a very conscious effort to be team driven here. I mean, truthfully. Um and after that all of a sudden it does start to show in not just goals for him but assists for other people and it's and we're still seeing him do what he does well like he's had massive tip goals and much needed tip goals and you know the power play goals that we will always want to see him score it's just he's really shined in this a completely different area of his game and even before it translated to points, it was noticed by the coaching staff. And that's where you just sit there and you go, God, Alain Vino's smart.
0: <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> and the crazy thing is that to, to show you how important James Fame Reems like has been and Joel Faraby and these guys that sometimes – well, JVR's not a secondary scorer, but Faraby very much is a secondary mm-hmm. scorer. The Flyers are scoring three-and-a-half goals per game so far through ten games. And they haven't gotten a goal from Sean Couturier yet because he's only played, like, think, what, one and a half games, two? And, uh, and they only have one from Claude Drew. Claude Drew's obviously been a beast in terms of playmaking and assists, but one goal from Claude Drew, none from Sean Couturier, and they are putting up three and a half goals per game so far. So that's another thing I think that should be scary for the Flyers, waiting until they get some reinforcements and uh, they start spreading it around even more. Uh, it could be a scary team to watch in terms of uh, putting up points, putting up goals uh, for sure.
3: We're driven by the search for better. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Jordan, the Flyers are unlikely 7 2 and 1 so far on this season. It's interesting. Our friends at Points Bet Sportsbook took a look at their odds to win it all. They've now got the eighth best odds in the NHL. They're Plus 1600 so a $100 bet on the Flyers to win the Stanley Cup wins you $1,600. They actually have the same odds as the Capitals, a team that's red hot. The Flyers will see this week. They're at the top of the East Division. I mean, what do you think? The Flyers tied with the Caps right now, a team that looks like they're nearly unstoppable in the East Division.
0: I like it, Taryn. If I'm a Flyers fan and I have the money, I'm going to probably place a bet on that uh, if, if I'm a Flyers fan. Uh, I just think they – um, are a team you want to buy into right now, uh, given they haven't played a complete game yet. Uh, they really haven't looked like themselves. Entering Monday, they were giving up the second most shots per game in the league. Last year, they gave up the fewest shots per game in the league. And they're still 7-2-1. and So I think that's a scary thing. That the Flyers can be a whole lot better, and they're still 7-2-1. and Taryn, what do you think about that bet?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Al Gansy said last night, this is a team that's 7-2-1, and and they're unhappy with themselves because they don't really care as much about the points, I'm sure they do care about the actual points themselves as they are getting them. If they weren't getting them, I think they'd care a whole lot more, but they care about the way that they're playing and they're not happy with the way that they're playing for the Flyers to still be there at plus 1600, according to our friends at points Bet Sportsbook. I mean, I think they, they can only go upward from here. I know that's technically not true. In theory, though, it seems like if they get Sean Couturier back soon and everything gets clicking. I mean I expect a lot out of this Flyers team. It's interesting at the top of the list is Tampa Bay, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights and then the Boston Bruins. Flyers will see the Bruins this week as well. So, big measuring stick kind of week coming up for the Philadelphia Flyers. Taryn Hatcher looking like a fish right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> On our video, but she's excited for hockey, she's excited for snow. Thank you guys. Big week all-
1: coming up, Jordy. Big week. Big, big week coming big up. Big week. Bruins, uh, Capitals. Some of them are on VCSN, Some of them are on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Hang out with us whenever we're there.
0: Hang out. Watch Taryn. Watch Scott Hartnell. All the ad, all the analysis and coverage you guys need, Flyers fans. Taryn Hatcher, thank you, as always. Cannot wait to chat with you more. Ben Berry, thank you. Our podcast producer, as always. And Flyers fans, of course, first and foremost, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate, And subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.
2: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're gonna pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.